you know, we all live within boundaries to varying degrees. You know, we've talked about different boundaries that we have road boundaries. We call them painted lines or, or barriers or uh, guardrails. We have boundaries that hold the roof up. We call them walls. We all live within boundaries to varying degrees. Sadly, many biblical teachers, theologians, and pastors decry the idea of boundaries within the body of Christ. They say that there aren't any boundaries applied to Christ's followers, that because of His work, we're set free from any kinds of boundaries. But yet the Bible shows us that even Paul, the Apostle Paul, whose teachings are used to put forth that idea of no boundaries, Paul taught boundaries. He, he taught boundaries, and in a passage that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 16 today, we're going to see that he took the decrees of the apostles in Jerusalem, and he took them across Asia and into Europe. And this is when he was evangelizing. And some of those boundaries are clearly outlined in God's Word. And they are for all of God's people all through time. We're going to look at that passage of Scripture that relates this and other things today, as I said in Acts chapter 16. But you know, the enemy of souls cunningly, very slyly, brings His people into the congregations of saints. He brings His agents into the body of Christ to subvert and suffocate the preaching of God's Word. We see that in Paul's example also. We're going to read about it in Acts chapter 16. You can find that on page 1708 in the Bibles there in your seats if you care to look, or otherwise we'll have it up on the screen here. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16, and I would like to pray one more time before we move on. Father, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you for your word. We know that it is true. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear it that you would take away any clouds, any darkness, any distraction. We pray, Lord, that you would remove everything and anything that gets in the way of your word, anything that tries to suffocate your word today. I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Acts chapter 16, again, that's page 1708 in the book, if you care to open it there. And we will find... We're going to pick up in the middle, and then we're going to go back and look at some of the details. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. And my fingers aren't turning the pages real well today. There we go. Oh, one page too many. And this is where it's written, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us 
and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, his Hebrew name being Yahashua, Messiah, to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. I pray that God would open our ears to hear and add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. I want us to look at some of the background to bring some context into this. It's just a short passage. Usually I read the entire passage, but there's so many names in there that it, it, my tongue would get twisted, to be honest with you. So I decided not to read all of the names of the cities and towns and places that they went. And beginning there, we learn that Timothy joined with Paul and Silas, and then Paul circumcised him because of the Jews. That's what we learn in the, in the early part of Acts chapter 16. And this was likely for Timothy's protection because he was only part Hebrew. His dad wasn't a Hebrew, so he hadn't been circumcised. Now, the question arises in my mind is like, how is anybody going to know? But Paul thought it was important. And he dealt with the situation. It's written in Acts chapter 16 and verse 4 that as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And that word decrees is translated from the Greek word dogma. Dogma. The Strong's lexicon defines dogma as a law, civil, ceremonial, or ecclesiastical, a decree or an ordinance, the rules. And those who argue that there are no rules in Christianity are either mistaken or they're lying. Because why would Paul, in the earliest days of our faith, be teaching the decrees of the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, if there were none? See, and that's the truth. Now, theirs includes the rules and requirements of the law of Moses, carrying a suggestion of severity and of threatened judgment of certain decrees of the apostles relative to right living. See, there are ways, boundaries, if you will, that we are to live within as followers of Christ, those boundaries for right living. They're biblical. Most likely the decrees were the teachings of Christ because he said, after all, go into all the world and teach them everything that I taught you. And so the apostles would naturally take his teachings and share them. And these were boundaries for believers' conduct as followers of Christ. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, we learn the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily after the teaching of the decrees of the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. The church was growing. There were people being added to the church. In fact, as we read in the early bits of our chapters of uh, Acts, we learn that the church was growing in number rapidly. What were they teaching? They were teaching the teachings of Christ, the decrees of the apostles the boundaries for human conduct as Christians. The kingdom of God and His Christ were growing 
And as we read on in that chapter, we learned that they were traveling from city to city in Asia, and those city names I didn't want to stumble over. And then he went into Europe to preach. But the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching in some areas, and they were obedient. When the Holy Spirit said no, they didn't preach. Now, we don't know why, because it's not written there. Why would the Holy Spirit say, no, don't preach here? Go over there. We don't know. But we know the Holy Spirit told them because it's written in God's Word. But then one night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia approaching him and asking that they would come to Macedonia to preach, to save them, to help them. That's in Acts chapter 16 and verse 9. And as soon as Paul had seen that vision, verse 10 tells us that they concluded that God had called them to the people of Macedonia, and they had to share the good news of the gospel there. And immediately they looked for a way to go there. That's what's written. Verse 11 relates that they took a ship from Troas and sailed to the island of Samothrace. The next day they sailed to the city of Neapolis, and from there they went to the city of Philippi, and that's where we pick up. They were in Philippi. Acts 16 and verse 12 tells us Philippi is a leading city in that part of Macedonia, and it was a Roman colony. On the Sabbath day they sought a place to pray, and they found it by the riverside. That's what the next verse tells us. And there they met Lydia, a rich merchant. She was a seller of purple. Purple was a very expensive fabric or dye either way. Lydia was converted to Christ, and she was baptized along with her entire household. These were the first European converts recorded in Scripture. Lydia became a supporter of these traveling missionaries by offering them a place to stay. And this is where we come back to the passage that we read earlier. One day they were going to the place of prayer. They were looking for a place to prayer. They learned that because there was no synagogue in this area, that the Jewish people would meet at the riverside. Apparently it was mostly women because that's what the Scripture comments on. It may have been because there weren't enough men. And they met this young slave girl. A young servant girl, a damsel, King James calls her. This young woman was possessed with a spirit of divination. Her body was enslaved to her masters, her physical masters, but her soul was enslaved to the devil. And remember, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit and any other spirit. The Holy Spirit is not any other spirit. God's people were filled with the Holy Spirit. No other spirit is permitted to dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Light can have no companionship with darkness. That's what's written, at least. And this possessed woman earned a great deal of money for her handlers, for her controllers, for her masters. And she told fortunes. She foretold the future. She was exploited on many levels. And undoubtedly, she was tortured, perhaps physically, most definitely spiritually. 
It's written in verse 17 that she followed Paul and the others, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God. They proclaim to us the way of salvation. That's a positive message, right? Why would Paul want to shut her up? She's crying out, these are the servants of the Most High God. And the Most High God is the terminology used to describe Almighty God in Scripture. The Most High God, to distinguish Almighty God from any of these so-called lesser gods. They were servants of the Most High God. Sometimes that phrase, it's written 49 times, by the way, in Scripture, and sometimes it's written as Most High, and other times it's written out all the way as Most High God. And we hear it in Genesis chapter 14. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Most High distinguishes Almighty God from anyone or anything else. It's written in Mark chapter 5, when our Lord encountered the demon-possessed man who lived in the tombs. He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For our Lord had said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. He commanded him to come out. He says the same thing that Paul did. Paul recognized that man, or excuse me, the woman was possessed, just like Christ recognized that this man was possessed. But why, even though the message is true, why would he call the demon out of the woman? Why would Paul call this demon out? He obviously knew she was possessed, but why wait several days? Why wait any length of time? Why not just call that demon out? Come out of her! You don't belong in there! Why not? Well, we can look at Paul's obedience to the Holy Spirit in not preaching in particular regions and say that has to be the reason why. He was obedient to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not given him permission to do it until that moment when he did. He had the authority. He was authorized by Christ to go into all the world, just as all of us are. He was authorized by Christ to cast out demons, just as we all are. But he waited. The reason for the delay is not given. It's not written in the Scripture. And there's no other information about it either. Just those three little lines of Scripture that we read. They were preaching. This young lady was following them, and she's crying out, these men are the servants of the Most High God. They're showing us the way of salvation. Paul waited for some number of days. It says many days, I believe. Is that, that's what's written, right? She was possessed with a spirit of divination. I got to thinking, what's this divination? What, okay, I know what divination is, but what is the spirit of divination? So I looked it up. 
we find that the root word, it occurs one time in the entire Bible. Once, right here, in the passage that we just read. It's puthon, or puthon. It means python. And it has its root in Greek mythology. It refers to soothsaying and divination. The Thayer's Greek lexicon gives the definition of Greek mythology, the name of the Pythian serpent or dragon that dwelt in the region of Pytho at the foot of Parmesis, and da-da-da-da-da, according to their mythology. He was slain by Apollo. And I got to thinking about that, because the Greeks, they would have recognized when he called out that demon. They would have known all about this Greek mythology. They would have recognized that. In Psalm 91, 13, it's written, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. This is God's Word speaking of Christ, and it applies to His followers because of the authority that He's delegated to us. Because I'll tell you, when we read in Luke chapter 10, in verse 19, we hear this, Behold, this is our Lord speaking, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You see, we've been authorized to do what Paul did. And so often, we don't don't feel comfortable doing it. If this slave girl were here, and she were crying out, pay attention to this man. He's a servant of the Most High God. He's teaching us the way of salvation. I don't know that there's anybody in this room, including yours truly, would feel comfortable saying, come out of her! This doesn't seem right. But Paul thought it was right. Paul did it. And the demon came out. The python is a snake that grabs its victims and squeezes the life out of them. It squeezes them. It suffocates them. You see, that's what was happening. She was suffocating the message of God from going forward by calling attention away from Paul to herself. Wraps its body around the target and it constricts, doesn't let go. And if you think about other spirits that are named in Scripture, the Jezebel spirit comes to mind because she tries to silence She, the spirit, the Jezebel spirit, tries to silence the prophets of God. When this evil, unclean spirit continued crying out, it was suffocating the message. He had the task of proclaiming the boundaries that were set by the others in Jerusalem. And the enemy of souls doesn't want anybody to think that there's boundaries. Because he's the first one that broke the boundaries. He was going to ascend to be like the Most High. That spirit was drawing attention away from the work of God. 
And so I asked myself as I was writing the message, was it right for Paul to call that spirit out of her at that time? Would any of us do that? Wouldn't we want to just take this young lady aside, take her out of the room, take her out of the space, take her into a private area? Wouldn't we want to work on that privately? That's not what Paul did, and it's certainly not what Jesus did. He cast the demon out right there on the spot. Get out! You don't belong in her! Called it out! We're not comfortable doing that. We don't like the idea of people actually being possessed. It's hard for us to maybe even fathom that this is possible today. But it most certainly is. There are people in the ranks of Christianity that attend services like this on a regular basis who are not filled with the Spirit of Almighty God. Oh, they know the language. They know how to talk. They know how to act as if they're Christians. The Scripture calls them wolves in sheep's clothing if they're teachers. The Scriptures call them tares. The Scriptures call them goats. The Scriptures call them bad fish. When the harvest is brought in, there's good fish and bad fish, and at the end, they're separated. But we can know that there will be people who proclaim that the message of God is being proclaimed. But they're not filled with the Spirit of God. So are we to tolerate that? Who's to discern? How do we discern? Is it taking away from the message of Christ? That is what the passage shows us. If it's detracting, if whatever it is that's being proclaimed is detracting from the message of Christ being brought forth, we can know if it's a self-serving message, if it draws attention to self instead of to Christ. And you see the fine line there because Paul's listening to this young lady. We don't know how old she was. As I said, the passage relates that she was young. She was a slave girl. She was enslaved to these men who were making money, and they got really upset with Paul, had him arrested, had all the guys arrested, thrown in jail because they stopped her from doing what, they were, what she was doing for them. She was making them money. So, does the person who's possessed by this python spirit need to be making someone money? Not necessarily. They're drawing attention to themselves away from the gospel. You know, we know that our Lord cast out many demons. It's written. Those people that he casted demons from were tormented in various ways. Some were deaf, unable to speak. Others were blind, unable to see. Some were made sick by evil spirits. And he cast them out. And it is written that he cast them out. In fact, it's written that his apostles cast out demons. It's written that others that he sent out cast out demons. 
even though the demons are permitted, they have the authority to inhabit people. God's people are permitted to throw them out. We have the authority to evict them. That's in our authority. That's what's been delegated to us from Christ. If we find that someone is, in fact, possessed of demons or a demon, we have the authority by Christ to call it out. Get out. And that's a hard one for us. Because there should be somebody that we can point to that we say, okay, you're the guy or you're the gal, you're the one that God is. No, all of us have been called to it. And I know we're not all comfortable with that, but that is what's written in Scripture. Because when he gave that power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means will hurt you. In other words, those demons, they can't harm you when you're operating in the authority of God. They have to obey. They must obey. They, are, they don't have an option not to obey. And yet there is one time, and it's written in Luke and in Mark, and we'll get there, or Matthew, excuse me, I think it is. Matthew, let's go to Matthew chapter 17. When they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Does it sound like he's disturbed there? Do you think he was disturbed? O faithless! and perverse generation. What happened to the loving Jesus? Where's his kindness in that? Where's his tolerance of everybody in that? Faithless, perverse? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. Sounds like he's a little tense there to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it. That's what it sounds like, though. And then Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus separately or apart, privately, and they said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. Unbelief? They were walking with him. They were his apostles. They were like the main guys. From the very start, he gave them authority over demons. It is written when he called them together. But he's calling them faithless. Because of your unbelief, for verily I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, ah, here's a caveat, this kind goeth out not, goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. How many of us are willing to fast and pray? How many of us are willing to take that time? Maybe Paul was fasting and praying for God's guidance in calling that 
spirit of divination, that spirit of Python out of that young lady. Mark's gospel includes a couple of details that Matthew does not. Jesus said unto him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. See, many of us can pray that prayer. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And I believe it's a prayer that we need to hold on to. When we face tough situations in our lives, we need to be ready to pray that prayer. God, I believe. Help me with any unbelief. Take that away. Some of these situations that we find ourselves in are very difficult. And sometimes God says no. There are many people that have found that out from Paul on. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was. It's not described. Maybe it was his eyesight. Maybe it was a sickness. We don't know. But what we do know is God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And as we suffer in this life, and many times we do, we must remember that God's grace is sufficient. And we pray, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou deaf and dumb spirit, I charge thee, come out of him. And here's another part that's not in Matthew. And enter him no more. See, because there's another teaching where Jesus said, Whenever the spirit is kicked out, it'll come back and it'll bring some buddies with him. And then the end of that person is worse than the beginning. And the spirit cried, rent him sore, and he came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch as many said, he is dead. So now here's the dad that comes to Jesus and says, hey, uh, you know, your disciples, he couldn't take this, they couldn't cast this demon out. Can you help me? Help me. Please help me. And he cast the demon out. The boy falls on the ground, looks like he's dead, and people are murmuring, he killed him. The boy's dead. But obviously he wasn't because the text goes on to tell us. We look at Matthew's record. Both Matthew and Mark recorded the fact that our Lord delegated power to his 12 disciples from the start. As I said earlier, in Matthew's record, it's written this way, and when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. How many of his disciples? When he called them, he called him his 12 disciples. This was in the beginning. When he called the 12, in the beginning, he gave them. It doesn't say 10 of them. It doesn't say 8 of them. It doesn't say 11 of them. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Would that include Judas? Obviously, Judas was given power, he was given authority by Christ to cast out demons. But listen to what's written in John's gospel record. When he was asked, who's going to betray you? Our Lord said, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Satan entered Judas, the one who was empowered by Christ himself to cast out demons? Satan got into him? Now, there are people who say, oh, no, the devil can't. No, 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 he's off. No, he can't. 
Well, he did it to Judas. He did it to Judas, one of the twelve, right there at the very beginning. And he told Judas, what you do, do quickly. And we know how that turned out. Each one of us must guard ourselves in prayer and fasting, reading and studying God's Word, not opening the door. You see, the old Dracula movies had this metaphorical representation of this demonic fellow who would come and knock on the door, but he wouldn't come in unless you opened the door. He wasn't authorized. See, the demons aren't authorized to enter you unless you open the door. And there are brothers and sisters who open the door and become possessed. They, they're gotten a hold of. They might need help to break free. But they've definitely been controlled, just as Judas was controlled. We need to be reading and studying God's Word. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us, because we need Him to teach us what God's Word really says. There is so much misinformation amongst Christian circles these days that the only place that we can go to to find the truth is right here in God's Word, because His Word is true, and it stands forever true. This is not going to die. I wore a shirt the other day. It's worn out. I wear it as a work shirt. I had this shirt on, and it says, read it. It's got a depiction of a book, the Bible. It says, read it while it's still legal. And some guy took offense. It'll never be illegal. They've tried before. So said, well, they're working on it. Didn't mean to offend him. But everything is up in the air these days. For let's face it. It's just a matter of time before they try to shut down buildings like this forever. But each of us must guard ourselves and not step outside of the boundaries. Don't step outside of the boundaries because that opens you to dangerous spiritual attacks that can have devastating effects on your life. As I wrap this up, I want to remind you of the boundaries that God has put in place regarding demonic activity. And I've outlined them very clearly. We're authorized to cast demons out, even though demons are authorized to inhabit people. We're given authorization. It's a higher authorization. They can't resist the authorization of Christ. We don't do it in our own. We don't brag of it. We do it in His power, in His authority, in His name. Not ours. The demons can influence people who are hearing God's Word. And I know there are many that don't believe that, and there may be some people here that don't believe that, but God's Word is true. Every man can be a liar. God's Word is true. They can even publicly state positive messages regarding the people who are proclaiming the gospel. These men are the servants of the Most High God. They're teaching us the way of salvation. They can sound like the best Christ follower on earth. 
That little girl was no harm to them. She was no threat to Paul. She couldn't have hurt Paul. But she was taking attention away from the gospel message. Her influence had to be stopped. Because their intent, the demon's intent, is to distract terrors, whoever would hear the word, and to suffocate those who are proclaiming it. Is it biblically correct for the preacher to call out such demons and cast them from the congregation of saints? Absolutely. If we follow the biblical model, Paul and Christ give us examples to follow. They provide those boundaries within which we are to operate. Rosalie has asked for prayer for a number of things because she is tormented. And I know there are others in this building that could use prayer, and so today I'd like to ask you if you're willing, you can come forward and we'll pray. Because I know there are people here that could use prayer, and there's anybody here that would like to pray, you're welcome to come up and pray with us. And right now I'll ask that God would hear our prayers. Hmm? All right. Yes, please. Heavenly Father, you and you alone are in control. We believe, and I ask as that man did for his son to help our unbelief that you would enable us and empower us to know the biblical boundaries of where you would have us conduct ourselves. Lord, where there is error in our lives, we ask for your forgiveness. We confess it to you from our hearts. Your word tells us if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord God, we do not want to operate unrighteously. We want to live our lives in a righteous manner. And so, God, I lift up each one in this building, most especially those who've come forward, and I ask for your blessing on each one. If there be any spirits tormenting these people, Lord, I ask that you would take them and remove them from their lives. As I take some oil, I ask, Lord God, that you would use it to anoint each one. I'll start with my brother Bob, who's had physical ailments, and I ask, Lord God, you would cleanse him, purify him, take away everything and anything, Lord, that would be causing this. I pray in Christ's name. For each one of these people, Lord, I lift them up to you and I ask for your blessing. I trust, Lord God, that you and you alone are the source of healing. Take their minds, take their bodies, every bit of their being, I pray in Christ's name, that you would give them strength and power over all the wiles of the devil. I ask, Lord God, that you would strengthen them against 
any and all temptation, that you would bring physical and spiritual health to their bodies, that you would take their minds, Lord, and renew them, because your Scripture is true. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, Lord God, I ask that you, by the power of Christ, would cast the demons out of anybody that was filled with demons or being tormented by demons. Lord, I don't have the power to do it. You have the power. I don't have the authority except that authority which you've given me. And so I call on the mighty name of Yahashua, our Messiah, the Savior of all who live and all who have and all who ever will. May we be set free from everything and anything that takes us away from you, I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen.